You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, yesterday I mentioned just allow yourself to be happy. Allow yourself, because we don't know, right? Listen, if this was Aaron Rodgers, 2019, 20, whatever, and uh, we lost it, it's kind of like 2022. You know, we lost a game and it's like, what the heck is that? I feel like we should have won that game. Why do people play bad? Like, we can't be doing this. This isn't a playoff team. Fine. But. This is a complete unknown. I mean, maybe not the defense, whatever. Maybe it's an aberration. I don't know, whatever. Doesn't matter. But what I said is, since we don't know, we look at the information, we see a lot of good, we see some bad. Allow yourself to believe in the good. And, and to be completely honest, the good is so remarkably good, it's kind of crazy. Again, number two scoring offense is not something to just like, eh, whatever. Do you think the Jets with Zach Wilson would ever be the number two? Do you think if they were the number two scoring offense and they played the Falcons, who actually have a good defense, and the Bears, everybody would just be like, meh, you know, they played the Bears, so what do you expect? Nobody would be saying that. Two main reasons nobody would say that. Number one, that would never happen to the Jets. I don't care who they're playing. They're never going to be the number two scoring offense because they suck. Number two... They wouldn't say that because it would be an amazing thing. Maybe maybe Zach Wilson learned to play quarterback. Oh, my goodness. Here's another thing to keep in mind for the people that want to say, well, you played the Bears. Guess what? There's another team that played the Bears. They're called the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know who else? They played the Vikings. If anybody has a worse defense than the Bears, it's the Vikings. These two teams have completely garbage, garbage defenses. You know where their offense ranks? 16th. Not second, not first, not third, not fourth, not fifth, not sixth, not seventh, not eighth, not ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth. They rank sixteenth. Allow yourself to be happy. Talked about point differential, which is a pretty solid metric in terms of term- uh, determining how good a football team is. Green Bay Packers are fifth. That's that's looking at the strength of your offense minus the strength of your defense. Fifth. I think we did this already, but look at look at uh, since twenty ten. Um, this is the fourth best point differential we've had, and it's 2010 when we won the Super Bowl, 2020 when we should have won the Super Bowl, 
and 2015, which is almost tied at, at 18 with the point differential. Right now we're at 17. This is ahead of 2011. One of the, that's basically like the 2020 equivalent, elite offense. It's ahead of 2013, 2019, 2012, 2016. The Packers are off to a really good start. Here's another fun one for you. How about since the inception, well, since 1940, as far back as this thing can go, going back to 1940, 83 years, looking at passing touchdowns. Do you know where 2023 ranks in terms of passing touchdowns since 1940 through two weeks? Fourth, 1983, 2013, 1996, and then 2023, which is tied with 2020. I don't get super mad when really good years and Super Bowl champion teams are in the same metrics with the 2023 team. Well, it's just two weeks, and I I understand. I never said things can't change. I'm just telling you how good things are right now, and I'm telling you, you have the option to be happy about it. Average net yards per attempt, very good metric for analyzing quarterback play. Since 1940, 2023 is eighth. It is, in, it is sharing the top 10 with 2020 and 1996. That's not the worst news in the world. Oh, also 2011. Anyways, in line with point differential, part of the reason I'm bringing this up, um, aside from just reiterating it, is that I found a new stat. I was kind of poking around with some of this uh, betting stuff, and apparently there is a really, really, really prominent statistic that betting folks and, uh, like, you know, the sports books and everything love to use. I don't know if this is actually true, but maybe it's one of these things they tell, like, amateur bettors so that they do simplistic stuff so that they don't make money. I don't know. But I'd never heard of it before. And I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the stat. But it passes the very simplistic test that I've told you, which is if you sort by this, do you have a good ranking? Um, I saw the guy that was doing the video, he was doing it in 2021, so he was looking at 2020 data, and, you know, at the top was the Packers and the Bills, and then from, you, you look at the list and you're like, yeah, that looks exact, or no, it was Tampa in the, and, uh, and the Packers, and then, you know, it, it looked like a power, which is, it's a way of building a power rating scale, is kind of what the whole thing was about. But anyways, the, the, the metric is called yards per point. And when I saw it, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, it makes sense in terms of like how you get the number, but why would that be a good metric? Because my mind immediately went to, what if you have low yards and low points? That would, you would still have a good number, but you would suck at football. But essentially, it's kind of like point differential, because what you do is you take yards per point on offense, you take yards per point on defense, you subtract one from the other, and you get a differential. But essentially what it is, if you think about it, it's an efficiency number. How efficient are you on offense? And, and what it looks at is, essentially, how often do you score, right? If you drive down the field and you don't come up with points, if, if you're getting yards, but you're not capitalizing on it, like, for example, I would assume the Saints are terrible in this metric because they can move the ball, but they're not scoring. I don't know. I'll, let, well, let me look at it. I've got it on one of these billion tabs here. Yeah, they're 28th. So that's exactly right. They're an inefficient offense because, and, and the reason you end up inefficient is you get a lot of yards, but not a lot of points. So again, I, I, I kind of reject this as a be-all, end-all statistic because I feel like there's way too much context that can skew this. There's also things like Quay Walker's pick six that massively skew this. But compared to just looking at raw numbers, it is, it, it's, it's safe to say that this is a decent metric. And it, even again, if you look at it, you go, yeah, that, it kind of makes sense. So it's not wasting movement, capitalizing on opportunity. Do you know where the Green Bay Packers rank in yards per point on offense? 
Number one, they're ahead of the Dallas Cowboys. So the team in third place, Seattle, fourth is Philadelphia. Seattle is at 11.5. Dallas is 9.2. Lower is better. Green Bay is 8.9. On defense, you want higher is better, right? You want teams to have to put up more yards to be able to, to get more points. The Packers defense ranks seventh. Number one offense, number seven defense in yards per point. And so then if you just use that um, that main metric, which is you take offensive yards per, or defensive yards per point and subtract offensive yards per point, you get a power rating scale based on a per point metric. The Green Bay Packers rank third. It's Dallas, then the 49ers, then the Packers. Behind the Packers, Philadelphia and Baltimore. The Saints rank 25th because even on defense, they are behind the Green Bay Packers at 10th. So again, it's not a perfect metric, but I'm not trying to pretend that it is because I'm giving you a pile of them. Look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And you can yeah butt me to death all you want. But in 2022, guess how easily I could have done this? You know where the Packers ranked in yards per point last year? 17th. On defense, 16th. I mean, I, I, if I had the opportunity to give you positive statistics, I would have. They didn't exist. I don't know if this carries on into your week three, week four, week five, week six, but through two weeks, we are without a doubt by almost every single conceivable metric, point differential, yards per point, DVOA, not PFF so much. PFF doesn't like us very much. Big part of that is probably they don't like the quarterback. Well, I think they do. The commentators do, but the, the way that their grading scale works, eh, not too much. Here, you want more? I got another one. Here's a tweet from NFL Rookie Watch. Again, you can ignore everything I'm saying and choose to look at the bad and be negative about it, but I'm just giving you ammunition if you don't want to. Here you go. Jordan Love currently has more passing yards than Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow, more passing touchdowns than Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen, and a higher QBR than Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, and Trevor Lawrence. Oh, and a higher passer rating than every quarterback in the entire NFL. The Packers' first-year starter is off to an insane start. What else? Uh, the Packers are 2-0 against the spread. What does that mean? It means that the Packers are outpacing expectations two out of two weeks. The Packers have uh, hit the over on the over-under twice in a row. Now, that obviously has something to do with the competition as well, but maybe has something to do with outpacing expectations. And, and, and listen, I think potentially some people that are not satisfied with the offense are now suddenly moving the goalpost, right? So we had a standard. Like, boy, I just hope he can be this. Now he's past that, and we move the standard over here, and we're like, yeah, but like he's not this. Yeah? And? <laughs> you look at the quarterback. You look at the wide receivers, the tight end, the running... You look at the whole offensive situation, and you go, man, I'm worried because this could potentially suck. Like, I'm scared that they're not going to be on the same page. I'm worried about how we perform on week one. Like, there's a lot of reasons to look at this and kind of be scared. Oh, and then Christian Watson's out. Now I'm really nervous. Oh, and then Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, and David Bakhtiari, and Elton Jenkins are going to be out. Oh, wow. Well, now we're super screwed. And then we still outperform expectations offensively. And it's like, damn that offense. Like, <laughs> what? Okay, whatever. All right, how about touchdown percentage? Since, geez, I don't know. Should we go back to 1940? Might as well. I chose 2010 and we're number one by a mile. Let's see what happens when we go back to 1940. There, that's better. Sixth. Behind 1947, 1978, 1983, 1959, and 1996. How about passer rating since 1940? Where does Jordan Love rank? Ninth. 
1983, 1996, boy, 1996, something about that year, just uh, must have been really impressive. 2015, 2013, 2011, 1978, 1965, 2020, and 2023. In 2020, Aaron Rodgers had a passer rating through two weeks of 119.4. Jordan Love is 118.7. In 2021, Rodgers was 97.2. How about uh, intended air yards? They only have this going back to uh, 2018. But um, right now, Jordan Love is second behind only 2021. Completed air yards per attempt, second behind only 2020. Excuse me, completed air yards per completion? Uh, bad throw percentage is where um, he currently ranks the worst. Now, some of these, again, are debatable in terms of whether they're his fault or the receiver's fault. But out of since 2018, this is where he ranks the worst. 25%. That sucks. But it's actually tied for the worst. With Aaron Rodgers in 2021, when he won MVP, it's throwing it out there. We got, uh, I don't know, yards per scramble attempt. Not surprisingly, Jordan Love is number one. Uh, a close second was uh, 2019. Rodgers was feeling it that year, but that's about it. He had uh, 10 yards per scramble. Jordan Love at 11.6. The next highest was 8.7. That was 2018. Then 2022, Rodgers with seven. 2020, Rodgers with six. And 2021, Rodgers with 2.3. It's not bad. I mean, again, it's up to you what you want to do. I don't care. I think it's a good start. Can we, can we acknowledge that it's a good start? Again, number one offense, number seven-ish defense. Unacceptable things, right? Giving up the, the, the run defense, not good enough, right? Yep, granted. The incompletions and the inaccuracies, not good enough, granted. Run blocking and running, yeah, that's for sure. Got to clean that up. So compared to the standard of perfect, definitely not good enough. Compared to the standard of kind of expectations coming in, with the exception maybe of the run defense thing, I would say exceeding expectations. That's just me, though. Well, this concludes phase one. Let's take a quick break. Thank you very, very much to Frank Cannon for the donation on Venmo. Really, really appreciate that. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy or at Venmo at Packernet Podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive 
eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's talk injury reports here. Um, There's several to talk about. I want to start with um, non-Packers Saints injury report first. So first of all, for the Minnesota Vikings, pass rusher Marcus Davenport, pretty big part of that defense, not playing. On the other side, though, for the Chargers, Austin Eckler is out. Eric Kendricks, former Viking, is out. Joey Bosa is questionable with a hamstring injury. Um, That's probably about it as far as people that are relevant. So if Joey Bosa doesn't go, that is massive for the Minnesota Vikings. It's also worth keeping an eye on center Garrett Bradbury. He's not a great football player. That's for the Vikings, if you didn't know. But um, obviously, if you have a bad player and he goes out, the person replacing him must be really awful because he can't even take that guy's job. So go Chargers. The Lions, I've got quite a list here. So first of all, they're playing the Falcons. The Falcons do have Jeff Okuda listed as questionable, although he was full participant all week. Uh, Cordero Patterson, obviously not a massive part of their offense, has a thigh injury. He was limited on Friday. Questionable. Other than that, as far as I can tell, they're good to go. For the Lions, check this out. Frank Ragnow, it just says unspecified for game status. We don't know. He was a full participant on Friday, but I don't know why it says unspecified. I don't know what that means. Amon Ross St. Brown with a toe injury is questionable. Probably going to play because he, he didn't practice on Wednesday, limited Thursday, full on Friday, but still questionable. Other wide receiver, Josh Reynolds, groin injury, limited Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was full, questionable. Probably going to play. Here's where it gets even more interesting. Running back David Montgomery who seems to be getting a lion's share of the, uh, the running back work ahead of their first-round pick, has a thigh injury, hasn't practiced all week, and is doubtful to play in this game. Halapalavati Vaitai, guard, knee injury, out. That's big. This offensive line is like the entire, the entire thing that makes this thing go. So Vaitai is out. Also, Taylor Decker is out. So he will not be at left tackle. He's got an ankle injury. Also, Kirby Joseph, free safety, has a hip injury. He's out. Defensive back Emmanuel Mosley, hamstring slash knee injury, also out. If for whatever reason, and I don't think that this is the case, Frank Ragnow is not playing, they are very much screwed. Emmanuel Mosley hasn't played all year, whatever. But you've got a starting safety in Kirby Joseph, who's actually ranked the 20th best safety in football, not playing. Vitae, who's ranked as the fourth best offensive, offensive guard not playing. Taylor Decker, just a 70 PFF grade, 25th overall, but he's not playing. This is significant. So big time fingers crossed that the Atlanta Falcons can get the job done against the Detroit Lions, especially by generating some pressure on that offensive line. They've had a luxury of being able to run behind that and pass behind that, take that away. And I think they're in big trouble because their defense is not good. 
And then uh, the other NFC North opponent, the Chicago Bears, who have just had a complete downward spiral this past week. First of all, news broke that they uh, they were robbed. <laughs> I swear. I guess some uh, band of thieves got in there and tore down the security fences and just started taking stuff. I tweeted out they should probably just finish tearing it down because what the heck's the point at, you know, at this point? But I guess they're just going to keep going. I guess they're just going to keep subjecting themselves to this. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs injury report is relatively extensive, although most of these guys are full go, so it's not worth mentioning them. Kadarius Tony is questionable. Isaiah Pacheco is questionable. Willie Gay is questionable. Richie James, wide receiver, nobody cares, is out. Nick Bolton, linebacker, some people care, is out. Does it really matter? Not so much. For the Bears, obviously they lost their left tackle. That's massive. Also pretty massive, Eddie Jackson has a foot injury and is doubtful to play in this game. That's got to hurt. Nate Davis, who's been going through some personal stuff, is questionable to play in this game. And then Khalid Kareem, defensive lineman, has a hip injury and is officially out. They are beyond screwed. All right, now getting to our game. For the New Orleans Saints, we know Jamal Williams is out. Uh, tight end Foster Moreau is out. Or I'm sorry, he's doubtful to play. Um, didn't practice Wednesday, came back Thursday, and then did not practice on Friday. Uh, Hugo Amadi, safety, is questionable. Paulson Adebo um, is also questionable. And that one kind of sticks out a little bit. Usually when you see questionable, okay, he's probably going to play. But this one is a hamstring injury that just popped up on Friday. So that in and of itself is pretty significant. Might just be a minor thing that he felt and just walked out of practice and he's going to be fine, but it's, you know, we're, look, we're looking for a pretty quick turnaround time for his recovery if, uh, if he pulled a hamstring or anything like that on Friday. So, you know, again, Marshawn Lattimore is playing out of his mind. He's the number one corner in the NFL right now. Um, aside from that, though, Paulson Adebo ranks 71st, and then their, their slot corner, Taylor, ranked 87th. If Adebo is out, you're... Um, Pretty rough corner situation got a lot worse. Probably going to be Isaac Yadam, who has not had the best career in the world. Um, his career grades have been, he started as a rookie 54, and then 50, 56, 31, 60. But he's only really played two years where he had a significant enough amount of snaps to actually have a ranking. That was 2019 and 2020, where he had a 50 and a 56. So he's not very good. He's a third round pick. That's the semi-good news. The bad news is the Packers injury report. Um, David Bakhtiari is questionable. Again, we won't know until probably game day what's going on with that. Rashawn Gary, I mean, similar situation. He's probably still on a snap count. I don't know, but he should be good to go. By the way, for the sake of all curses and hexes and jinxes, everybody's out. Everybody's out. Everybody's out. Everybody, nobody's playing. Okay? Now we got that cleared up. Elton Jenkins is officially out. Again, I take this to be relatively good news that they're not putting him on IR. I'm guessing they think he'll be back maybe in three-ish weeks, something like that. Fingers crossed. Aaron Jones uh, did practice again today. He is questionable. We don't know, but I, I think it's a very good sign that he practiced. I think it's a very good sign he's practiced two days in a row. I would assume he's playing, maybe on a snap count, but still good. Uh, Lucas Van Ness is questionable. He should be fine. I say that, but I mean, it's an elbow injury. Frickin' put him in a cast and let him go out there. Christian Watson, I don't know. He was limited on Wednesday, didn't practice on Thursday, I'm guessing because it was a little tight or something, I don't know. 
Friday he went he did go back out and practice. It's looking kind of good, but I just I just don't want to get my my hopes up cuz I just I really want him back and I'm going to be really sad if he doesn't play. Daniel Whelan Whalen, somebody please tell me how to say his name. Finger injury, full participant all week, he's fine. Zane Anderson, no offense, nobody cares. Then there's this news, Jair Alexander got a back injury on Friday and is questionable for the game. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know what happened. I'm just going to assume he's going to be okay, but I think we kind of need to start to think that maybe it's not going to be okay. The good news is that everybody's going to get a peek at Carrington Valentine, which everybody wanted to do anyways, right? Everybody's all jacked up about Carrington Valentine. and So, all right, we get to see him. The bad news is that he's going to be seeing a little bit of uh, Chris Olave, and that kind of sucks a little bit. And for anybody saying, well, they wouldn't put Valentine on Olave, please listen to me when I tell you. That's not how defenses work. You don't just say, you know, you got this guy all game. That's not how it works. If Carrington Valentine is playing, he will be on the side of Chris Olave. Sometimes it'll be man, sometimes it'll be zone. But that's going to happen, just so we're clear. So, there you go. There's your injury report. I mean, relatively good news, depending on, I guess, what your expectations were coming into this. Very happy to see uh, Watson is back. I kind of thought when he dropped out on Thursday or, you know, didn't practice on Thursday, that he was officially done. Breathe a little bit of life into that. We'll see how it goes. All right, one more quick break, and uh, we'll just do everything else. Take a break. We'll be right back. All right, real quick, let's make fun of our enemies a little bit here. It's been way too long. Let's do one each. Here is for the Minnesota Vikings. This is uh, the Valenti Show. Uh, Lions time. I have a question, and I really... I don't know the answer. I'm left. I'm getting over the anger of Sunday, but I'm at a point where I have been way too many times with Dan Campbell. I am questioning, is Dan Campbell good enough to get us where we want to go? We all love that they play hard for this guy. No one thinks Dan Campbell's a bad guy. No one thinks Dan Campbell's a boob. In a lot of ways, he embodies what this city wants out of a coach and what they want out of their football team. But when I say, is Dan Campbell good enough to get us where we need to go? It's about always returning back to the last possession against Seattle, the end of the first half against Buffalo, the end of the Vikings game, etc. These moments where I just need him to be more than he is, and thus far he's never that. That for all of his motivational tactics that work for how hard this team plays, for how badly he wants to win, for how much he cares, all of the good things, right? We always end up back here. So my my question to you, the Lions fan, because I know what Rico's going to say. He's going to be rude. He's going to be slanderous. I, I, Lions fan, is Dan Campbell good enough? Or Kenny, you put it in a very interesting way to start the show. Say it again. I can't go into games anymore sure that Dan Campbell's going to do the right thing. I'm always now questioning him, questioning the game plan, questioning whether it was the running back by committee comment, whether it was the treating the end of the game like halftime comment. I don't know what this man is going to do going into the game. I no longer feel comfortable with his decision-making going into the game. That's where I landed on. So is Dan Campbell good enough to get this team where they need to go? So I don't want to understate the significance of this, 
because this is what I've been waiting for for a long time. I made the comment back in year one of this new regime when these guys were playing hard, right? They're, they're, they got a new coach. This guy's a freaking goofball. He's talking about biting knees. Like, what a freaking dork. Um, this is going to end in disaster. And it didn't end well. But it's still like, wow, that was, you know, it's kind of impressive. They, they uh, looked like a competent-ish football team. But my comment at the time was, listen, this isn't going to last. This whole rah-rah thing and believe in us and believe in each other and all this stuff, it's not going to last. At some point, you're going to have to start winning. And um, whenever this rah-rah stuff wears off, you had better hope that you have a functional roster waiting for you or you're done. You're cooked. And at the start of this year, I had made a comment that um, I don't think that they did it. It felt like a plateau. They were growing and growing. Like that, that first year, they, it seemed like they did a good job. They went out and got the trenches, right? They went out and got Panay Sewell. I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer pick when you're that early to be able to get a slam dunk, but it was smart. It was, it was the right decision to make. I don't know if they had any other options, but whatever. And you could just see it. You know, uh, you, you got Amon Ra in there now. Jared Goff seemed to be pretty competent. You got Aiden Hutchinson, another kind of trench guy on the other side. That was pretty smart. And then this year, what did they do? They went and got a running back who, through two weeks, I mean, meh, would be appropriate, I think. And then and the, with their second first-round pick, they picked a linebacker, who as of right now, as best as I can tell, is their third linebacker. They have Derek Barnes, Alex Anzalone. That's their, Anzalone is their number one. Derek Barnes is their number two. Jack Campbell is their number three. And the running back they drafted in the first round is their backup running back who is only going to be able to get an opportunity now because of an injury to the starting running back. And then they get off to a slow start. I mean, they, they, again, they, they beat the Chiefs, but I said they looked like garbage doing it. They just didn't look like as big a piece of garbage as the Chiefs. If anybody could have caught a pass in their life, or if Travis Kelsey wasn't injured, or if Chris Jones was in the game, the Lions get smoked. Then the Seattle Seahawks go to Detroit, a place that nobody wanted to go. Detroit averaging over 33, I think it was, points per game, 31 points per game, I don't remember. And they got beat. And so now you got a team that seems to be plateauing. Even if, you know, well, yeah, they're, they're going to pick it up, whatever. Okay, fine. But are they going to pick it up where they left off last year and be a mediocre to subpar team that misses the playoffs? Because here's the thing. People are now starting... Uh, this is the first time, and I'm uh, listen, I'm not out in Detroit. I'm sure that other people have, have made comments, but this is the first time I feel like we may be starting to see the cracks with the head coach, who has been sort of the darling at the head of this darling team. If they lose this week, which is definitely not a certainty, but is definitely a possibility, if they lose this game, they may be in trouble. Like I said, there's, it, it is going to be implosion time for sure. But I think it may be a bigger thing. Because now, if you have the media, the fan base starting to lose faith in like the head coach, they're not believing the dream anymore, and they start to see, you know, you got back-to-back -back losses at home. I think this game's at home as well. You're talking back-to-back -back losses. Immediately, the thought is going to be, similar to the Bears, here we go again. Same old freaking team. Every year, I get my hopes up and for what? And you know what? They're not going to believe. And the, and the guys in that locker room are not going to believe. Because they've been hearing the same old rah-rah BS. Just hang in there, guys. We got this. We're going to be able to do it. Bull crap. Bull crap. Listen, 
we need the Falcons to win about as bad as any other team to win because that might just break this team. They had a chance, man. They had a chance, but the path was very simple. You build this roster, and then you go find a quarterback. You got an offensive line. Well done. You still need a defensive line. Didn't accomplish that. You still need corners. You didn't do that. Those are major areas of need. You, need, you didn't need a tight end, but then you went and traded away your tight end, so now you kind of need a tight end, which you did draft. Not a major priority, but you did draft. You need depth at wide receiver, aside from just one guy, which you did draft, but that guy was injured all year and is now suspended, and we don't even know if the guy can play football, but, you know, okay, I guess we'll say it's addressed. And then this year, with, with major core issues still at, at, at the focal point of things that need to be done, you get a backup running back and a third-string linebacker in the first round. Oh, and a tight end. Are there three less valuable positions in the NFL than tight end, running back, and linebacker? I'm not so sure. I mean, if we're just talking offense and defense, I'm not talking long snapper punter. I'm talking offense and defense. Give me one position less valuable than tight end, running back, and uh, linebacker. What, 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 safety, maybe? You could maybe say interior offensive line, like a center or a guard, maybe? I don't know. I, I really like the trenches and offensive line, so I probably wouldn't vote for that, but it could be. Again, maybe safety? But they're, they're, they're acting like they got everything all figured out. Yeah, we got it, man. Ridiculous. And unlike Bears fans, they're not just blindly buying in. I mean, they probably did early on, but it's not taking much. I mean, they, as far as I can tell, they're still a decent enough team with plenty of reason to believe that they can get it done. They got it done last year with this same group. They'll figure it out. But man, you get one loss at home and the fan base is just like, I'm done. I'm done. Screw this team. This is, this is fantastic news. Fantastic news number two, this time for the Chicago Bears. In coaching, there's a system to it. When we practice, there's a system to it. You start practice, we go run routes on air. I'm going to run a hitch, a slant, or out on air. Then they're going to bring in some DBs. We're going to go one-on-one. I'm going to run a hitch, slant, and an out on a DB. Then they're going to bring in seven-on-seven. And, and without the offensive and defensive line, we're just seven-on-seven. I'm going to run a hitch, slant, or out on seven-on-seven. Seven. Then they're going to bring in a full team. I'm going to run. Why are these guys not doing this with Justin Fields? Give him five plays and learn those five plays. And then we're going to start expanding off those five so you feel comfortable as you're learning each and every step of the way. Key brought it up. If you don't have these kind of coaches, this is the kind of thing that's going to happen to young athletes. That's yeah. why Celeb Williams' dad said, I got. It. I want to be careful on where my son go. I want to make sure he's not in that kind of yep. a situation with people Agreed. that don't 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 bring him along right. So if you didn't catch it there, he was talking about Caleb Williams. Um, this was a little bit of a while ago that Caleb Williams' dad had mentioned that um, I don't I don't know the full extent of it. I don't know how serious it is, but essentially he will not come out of college if the number one team with the number one pick is a team that he doesn't want to go to. And I thought at the time, yeah, I don't really buy it. Bottom line is, you're going to be playing for a bad team. That's just the reality. You're getting a team with a number one pick, unless there's just some kind of a critical injury that takes place. You know, I mean, maybe a team like the Jets, but that's the thing. The Jets aren't going to have the number one pick. Now, you could say, well, they got a good defense, and they got some decent coaches, and they got this, that, or the other. Right, well, that's why they're not going to have the number one pick. Sorry to disappoint you. Here's the thing, though. 
If there was ever a team, and you, you could talk about maybe the Cardinals, because that organization is a complete disaster. You could have maybe talked about Washington, although probably not. I mean, the ownership kind of sucked, but you could see a path for, you know, they got a defense and things like that, whatever. But with the, and, and listen, I don't even know if it's necessarily true that the entire narrative right now is the organization ruined Justin Fields. They broke him. Now, I don't, I don't think he has a good offensive coordinator, granted. I don't think they do a good job. I think they maybe did him a disservice by getting a defensive head coach. There's some things that they could have done that are that that could have been different. But the narrative that Justin Fields is some elite quarterback that that was broken by a franchise that's never had a good quarterback is flawed insofar as believing that Justin Fields is anything other than a bad quarterback. Well, he was good in college. Yeah, so is every Ohio State quarterback in history, and they all suck in the pros. Since when did we forget that? When did we forget that sometimes you're good in college, and it doesn't translate to the NFL? When did we forget that? We just suddenly pretend that everybody that's good in college is an elite NFL quarterback? When did that happen? Did we... What What happened to Zach Wilson? Was he garbage in... What, what about uh, Mac Jones? He dominated in college. He's not good. Stop being dumb. It's nonsense. But you know what? I love it. Because as long as the narrative is the Chicago Bears will break any quarterback that goes there, they will ruin their career forever. You're doomed for eternity if you step foot in Soldier Field as the starting quarterback there for the Chicago Bears. You're done. It's over. Then I think there's a possibility that maybe they follow through with that. Because it's not just a bad organization. Some bad organizations, and you know, you look at the Jaguars had the number one pick. Now they're in playoff contention. You know, all, all these quarterbacks uh, eventually, event, you know, if you're good enough, I mean, Joe Burrow, granted that's a sensitive situation with his injury and whatnot, but I mean, they were Super Bowl contenders. So, I mean, you could, you could make a case for, you know, there are situations, there are teams I would play for that are going to potentially get the number one overall pick. I mean, let's look at some of the, the teams that are kind of awful. Unfortunately, most of them are either Arizona or Chicago. Cardinals, I would guess that would be on the no-go list. The Texans, well, that's the Cardinals pick. That's a no-go. The Bears, that's a no-go. Carolina, that's Chicago, that's a no-go. But what about some of the other teams? You know, look at the Giants could very well be the number one overall pick. Would, would he possibly go to the Giants? Maybe. You like the coaching staff there, I would assume. Big city, you probably get a little bit of extra cash in your pocket. You got Saquon for the, you know, four minutes he plays every year. Got some some pieces in there spread around. What about, hear me out, the Patriots? If Bill Belichick says he's going to hang in there, I'm guessing he'd be willing to go there. Colts? Why not? Well, I guess I know why not, but, eh, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying it's possible he'd be willing to play um, in the NFL and then finds out the Bears have the number one pick and says, I'm not doing it. I will not go to the Bears. Which, you want to talk about breaking a franchise. I can't imagine something more glorious as a Packer fan than to have Caleb Williams refuse to come out because he refuses to play for the Bears because they're so garbage. That is the ultimate slam dunk. There's no coming back from that. For all eternity, the Chicago Bears traded up for Mitch Trubisky while passing on Pat Mahomes, drafted a complete bust in Justin Fields, and then had an opportunity for a truly elite quarterback, but he refused to come out because you're so bad. And can you imagine how glorious it would be if the next year, I mean, it would suck if the Bears get the number one pick again next year, but he would just refuse to play and, you know, 
force a trade or something, which he could do next year, which would be just as good. But the point is, forces a trade, plays somewhere else, and is dominant. And the only reason he wouldn't be a Chicago Bear, the only reason that elite quarterback, the next great Pat Mahomesian player, is not a Chicago Bear is because you're so inept, he refused to go there. I can't think of anything possibly better than that. And it's a potential reality. And really, there's only two things that are going to happen. Either Justin Fields starts playing better, and they're not going to get that pick, unless it's Carolina that gives it to him, or he doesn't play better, and we stick with this narrative that they ruin Justin Fields, and there's a good chance that Caleb Williams will refuse to go there. What a wonderful thing. Um, I don't have anything for the Vikings right now, but I wanted to look at this. This is a fun little chart that we looked at, um, I think week one. We didn't look at it last week, but it's a very, very cool thing. It looks at the team's probability, oh, nice pick, oh, he missed it, um, sorry, the team's probability of going to the playoffs with a win or with a loss. If the Packers lose, they will have a 59% chance of being in the playoffs, according to, this is based off of 10,000 simulations of the rest of the season, by the way, from Sumer or Summer Sports or however you say it. The Packers appear to be, if I'm reading this chart right, at about 70% odds of being in the playoffs. This is, this is staggering to me. If the Packers lose, they drop to 59%, which isn't great, but it's still a 60% chance with a loss being 1-2 that they will be in the playoffs. If the Lions win the game, they have the Lions at 49.1%. Think about that. So, so let's say everybody wins but the Packers. The Bears will be at 12.4%. The Vikings will be at 20.3%. The Lions will be at 49.1% and the Packers will be at 59%. If the Packers win this game, they have the Green Bay Packers at 74.5%. They are actually tracking identical to the Detroit or the excuse me, the uh, Miami Dolphins right now. Both teams if they lose are at about 59%. Both teams if they win are at exactly 74.5%. Can you imagine a 75% probability with a win that the Packers are going into the playoffs. Now, maybe this is a nonsense, um, the way that they set up their simulations. I don't know. Maybe they look at the last 10 years of history or something stupid. I, I, I don't know, but I don't think so. I think they're probably using 2023 data, which would make sense because the Packers actually, based on every chart that you can find, are better than every other NFC North team. And so I think that's what this is based on, the probabilities that the Packers are probably going to win the NFC North right now. Which is why, even with a win for the Lions, they're at sub-50%, because I don't think they expect any of these teams to get it. They don't expect two teams from the NFC North to get in. So it's really a question of who it's going to be, and right now, the bets are on the Green Bay Packers. Now, that is not a consensus. That is just from that one website. Um, but even still, the betting markets have moved drastically. We haven't looked at this since prior to Week 1, when the Packers were in fourth place, um, usually tied with the Chicago Bears, but a lot of the times worse off than Chicago in a few areas, especially as we get closer to the season with preseason not looking great for the Bears and looking pretty good for the Packers. Maybe a few things switched. Just to be clear, the consensus odds for the Chicago Bears to win the NFC North have plummeted from, I believe we were at plus 400. I think the Packers and Bears are at plus 400. The Bears have plummeted to plus 1400. So yeah, if you think they're going to win the division, this would be a great time to bet on them. Uh, the Vikings are now at plus 400, so they have dropped from where they were at about, I think they were around plus 200-ish. 
Now they're at plus 400. They are where the Bears and the Packers were when everybody thought they were going to be dead last in the division. The Packers are now a consensus plus 200, and the Lions are at minus 105. Now, your best bet would have been to bet the Packers back when they were plus 400, no doubt about it. But at this point, you still got decent enough odds. And the one thing that remains the absolute truest is the same thing that remained true uh, prior to the season, and that is the worst bet here. Well, I guess at this point it's the Bears, but at least for those odds, you put a couple bucks down, you could get rich. The worst bet is the Lions. They're at minus 105. So we'll see what happens. Another reason that a loss for the Lions is going to be pretty catastrophic. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens if both teams lose, but I, I, I wonder how much things shift away from the Lions because. Remember, a lot of the reason the Lions are expected to win the division isn't just the Packers are so bad, it's the li- it's belief in the Lions. If we eradicate that, what are we left with? Two pretty equal teams with equal question marks. You might even start to wonder if maybe the Packers are the team that makes the most sense in terms of which team is going to start improving the most as time goes on. Not saying, I'm just saying. Anyways, I'm going to leave you guys with that. I got to get out of here. You have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>